0: this is chapter twenty one of sketches new and old this librivox recording is in the public domain sketches new and old by mark twain chapter twenty one some learned fables for good old boys and girls in three parts part first how the animals of the wood sent out a scientific expedition once the creatures of the forest held a great convention and appointed a commission consisting of the most illustrious scientists among them to go forth clear beyond the forest and out into the unknown and unexplored world to verify the truth of the matters already taught in their schools and colleges and also to make discoveries it was the most imposing enterprise of the kind the nation had ever embarked in true the government had once sent dr bullfrog with a picked crew to hunt for a northwesterly passage through the swamp to the right-hand corner of the wood and had since sent out many expeditions to hunt for dr bullfrog but they never could find him and so government finally gave him up and ennobled his mother to show its gratitude for the services her son had rendered to science and once government sent sir grasshopper to hunt for the sources of the rill that emptied into the swamp, and afterward sent out many expeditions to hunt for Sir Grass. And at last they were successful—they found his body. But if he had discovered the sources meantime he did not let on. So government acted handsomely by deceased, and many envied his funeral." but these expeditions were trifles compared with the present one, for this one comprised among its servants the very greatest among the learned, and besides, it was to go to the utterly unvisited regions believed to lie beyond the mighty forest, as we have remarked before. How the members were banqueted and glorified and talked about! Everywhere that one of them showed himself, straightway there was a crowd to gape and stare at him. Finally they set off and it was a sight to see the long procession of dry-land tortoises heavily laden with savants, scientific instruments, glow-worms and fireflies for signal service, provisions, ants and tumble-bugs to fetch and carry and delve, spiders to carry the surveying chain and do other engineering duty, and so forth and so on and after the tortoises came another long train of ironclads stately and spacious mud turtles for marine transportation service and from every tortoise and every turtle flaunted a flaming gladiolus or other splendid banner at the head of the column a great band of bumblebees mosquitoes katydids and crickets discoursed martial music and the entire train was under the escort and protection of 12 picked regiments of the army worm at the end of three weeks, the expedition emerged from the forest and looked upon the great unknown world. Their eyes were greeted with an impressive spectacle. A vast level plain stretched before them, watered by a sinuous stream. And beyond, there towered up against the sky a long and lofty barrier of some kind. They did not know what. The tumblebug said he believed it was simply land tilted up on its edge, because he knew he could see trees on it. But Professor Snail and the others said, "'You are hired to dig, sir, that is all. We need your muscle, not your brains. When we want your opinion on scientific matters, we will hasten to let you know. Your coolness is intolerable, too, loafing about here, meddling with august matters of learning, when the other laborers are pitching camp. Go along and help handle the baggage.' The tumble-bug turned on his heel, uncrushed, unabashed, observing to himself, if it isn't land tilted up let me die the death of the unrighteous professor bullfrog nephew of the late explorer said he believed the ridge was the wall that enclosed the earth he continued our fathers have left us much learning but they had not traveled far and so we may count this a noble new discovery we are safe for renown now even though our labors began and ended with this single achievement i wonder what this wall is built of can it be fungus fungus is an honorable good thing to build a wall of professor snail adjusted his field glass and examined the rampart critically finally he said the fact that it is not diaphanous convinces me that it is a dense vapor formed by the calorification of ascending moisture deflogisticated by refraction a few endometrical experiments would confirm this but it is not necessary, the thing is obvious. So he shut up his glass and went into his shell to make a note of the discovery of the world's end and the nature of it. "'Profound mind!' said Professor Angleworm to Professor Fieldmouse. "'Profound mind! Nothing can long remain a mystery to that august brain. Night drew on apace. The sentinel crickets were posted, the glowworm and firefly lamps were lighted and the camp sank to silence and sleep after breakfast in the morning the expedition moved on about noon a great avenue was reached which had in it two endless parallel bars of some kind of hard black substance raised the height of the tallest bullfrog above the general level the scientists climbed up on these and examined and tested them in various ways they walked along them for a great distance but found no end and no break in them they could arrive at no decision. There was nothing in the records of science that mentioned anything of this kind. But at last the bald and venerable geographer, Professor Mud-Turtle, a person who, born poor and of drudging low family, had, by his own native force, raised himself to the headship of the geographers of his generation, said, "'My friends, we have indeed made a discovery here.' We have found in a palpable, compact, and imperishable state what the wisest of our fathers always regarded as a mere thing of the imagination. Humble yourselves, my friends, for we stand in a majestic presence. These are parallels of latitude." every heart and every head was bowed so awful so sublime was the magnitude of the discovery many shed tears the camp was pitched and the rest of the day given up to writing voluminous accounts of the marvel and correcting astronomical tables to fit it toward midnight a demoniacal shriek was heard then a clattering and rumbling noise and the next instant a vast, terrific eye shot by, with a long tail attached, and disappeared in the gloom, still uttering triumphant shrieks. The poor camp laborers were stricken to the heart with fright, and stampeded for the high grass in a body. But not the scientists—they had no superstitions. They calmly proceeded to exchange theories. The ancient geographer's opinion was asked. He went into his shell and deliberated long and profoundly. When he came out at last, they all knew by his worshiping countenance that he brought light. Said he, "'Give thanks for this stupendous thing which we have been permitted to witness. It is the vernal equinox.' There were shoutings and great rejoicings. "'But,' said the angleworm, uncoiling after reflection, "'this is dead summer-time!' "'Very well,' said the turtle. "'We are far from our region.' The season differs with the difference of time between the two points. Ah, true, true enough, but it is night. How should the sun pass in the night? In these distant regions he doubtless passes always in the night at this hour. Yes, doubtless that is true, but it being night, how is it that we could see him? It is a great mystery, I grant that but I am persuaded that the humidity of the atmosphere in these remote regions is such that particles of daylight adhere to the disk, and it was by aid of these that we were enabled to see the sun in the dark. This was deemed satisfactory, and due entry was made of the decision. But about this moment those dreadful shriekings were heard again. Again the rumbling and thundering came speeding up out of the night, and once more a flaming great eye flashed by— and lost itself in gloom and distance. The camp laborers gave themselves up for lost. The savants were sorely perplexed. Here was a marvel hard to account for. They thought, and they talked, they talked, and they thought. Finally, the learned and aged Lord Grandaddy Longlegs, who had been sitting in deep study, with his slender limbs crossed and his stemmy arms folded, said, "'Deliver your opinions, brethren. And then—' i will tell my thought for i think i have solved this problem so be it good your lordship piped the weak treble of the wrinkled and withered professor woodlouse for we shall hear from your lordship's lips naught but wisdom here the speaker threw in a mess of trite threadbare exasperating quotations from the ancient poets and philosophers delivering them with unction in the sounding grandeurs of the original tongues they being from the mastodon the dodo and other dead languages perhaps i ought not to presume to meddle with matters pertaining to astronomy at all in such a presence as this i who have made it the business of my life to delve only among the riches of the extinct languages and unearth the opulence of their ancient lore but still as unacquainted as i am with the noble science of astronomy i beg with deference and humility to suggest that inasmuch as the last of these wonderful apparitions proceeded in exactly the opposite direction from that pursued by the first which you decide to be the vernal equinox and greatly resembled it in all particulars is it not possible nay certain that this last is the autumnal oh go to bed go to bed with annoyed derision from everybody so the poor old woodlouse retreated out of sight consumed with shame further discussion followed and then the united voice of the commission begged lord longlegs to speak he said fellow scientists it is my belief that we have witnessed a thing which has occurred in perfection but once before in the knowledge of created beings. It is a phenomenon of inconceivable importance and interest, view it as one may, but its interest to us is vastly heightened by an added knowledge of its nature, which no scholar has heretofore possessed or even suspected. This great marvel which we have just witnessed, fellow savants—it almost takes my breath away—is nothing less than the transit of Venus!" Every scholar sprang to his feet pale with astonishment. Then ensued tears, hand-shakings, frenzied embraces, and the most extravagant jubilations of every sort. But by and by, as emotion began to retire within bounds, and reflection to return to the front, the accomplished Chief Inspector Lizard observed, "'But how is this?' venus should traverse the sun's surface not the earth's the arrow went home it carried sorrow to the breast of every apostle of learning there for none could deny that this was a formidable criticism but tranquilly the venerable duke crossed his limbs behind his ears and said my friend has touched the marrow of our mighty discovery yes all that have lived before us thought a transit of venus consisted of a flight across the sun's face they thought it they maintained it they honestly believed it simple hearts and were justified in it by the limitations of their knowledge but to us has been granted the inestimable boon of proving that the transit occurs across the earth's face for we have seen it the assembled wisdom sat in speechless adoration of this imperial intellect. All doubts had instantly departed, like night before the lightning. The tumble-bug had just intruded unnoticed. He now came reeling forward among the scholars, familiarly slapping first one and then another on the shoulder, saying, "'Nice, nice, old boy,' and smiling a smile of elaborate content. Arrived at a good position for speaking, He put his left arm akimbo, with his knuckles planted in his hip, just under the edge of his cutaway coat, bent his right leg, placing his toe on the ground and resting his heel with easy grace against his left shin, puffed out his aldermanic stomach, opened his lips, leaned his right elbow on Inspector Lizard's shoulder, and—but the shoulder was indignantly withdrawn, and the hard-handed son of toil went to earth. He floundered a bit, but came up smiling arranged his attitude with the same careful detail as before only choosing professor dogtick's shoulder for a support opened his lips and went to earth again he presently scrambled up once more still smiling made a loose effort to brush the dust off his coat and legs but a smart pass of his hand missed entirely and the force of the unchecked impulse slewed him suddenly around twisted his legs together and projected him limber and sprawling into the lap of the lord longlegs two or three scholars sprang forward flung the low creature head over heels into a corner and reinstated the patrician smoothing his ruffled dignity with many soothing and regretful speeches professor bullfrog roared out no more of this sirrah tumble-bug say your say and then get you about your business with speed quick what is your errand come move off a trifle you smell like a stable what have you been at please please your worship i chanced to light upon a find but no me matter about that there's a bit been another find which beg pardon your honors what was that the thing that ripped by here first it was the vernal equinox infernal equinox Ah, that's all right De done him. Oh, "'What's the other one?' "'The transit of Venus.' G- he, he, got me again. No matter. Last one dropped something.' "'Ah, uh, indeed. Good luck. Good news. Quick, what is it? M- "'Mosey out and see. It'll pay.' No more votes were taken for four-and-twenty hours. Then the following entry was made the commission went in a body to view the find it was found to consist of a hard smooth huge object with a rounded summit surmounted by a short upright projection resembling a section of a cabbage stalk divided transversely this projection was not solid but was a hollow cylinder plugged with a soft woody substance unknown to our region that is it had been so plugged but unfortunately this obstruction had been heedlessly removed by norway rat chief of the sappers and miners before our arrival the vast object before us so mysteriously conveyed from the glittering domains of space was found to be hollow and nearly filled with a pungent liquid of a brownish hue like rainwater that has stood for some time and such a spectacle as met our view Norway Rat was perched upon the summit, engaged in thrusting his tail into the cylindrical projection, drawing it out, dripping, permitting the struggling multitude of laborers to suck the end of it, then straightway reinserting it and delivering the fluid to the mob as before. Evidently this liquor had strangely potent qualities, for all that partook of it were immediately exalted with great and pleasurable emotions and went staggering about singing ribald songs embracing fighting dancing discharging eruptions of profanity and defying all authority around us struggled a massed and uncontrolled mob uncontrolled and likewise uncontrollable for the whole army down to the very sentinels were mad like the rest by reason of the drink we were seized upon by these reckless creatures and within the hour we, even we, were undistinguishable from the rest. The demoralization was complete and universal in time the camp wore itself out with its orgies and sank into a stolid and pitiable stupor in whose mysterious bonds rank was forgotten and strange bedfellows made our eyes at the resurrection being blasted and our souls petrified with the incredible spectacle of that intolerable stinking scavenger the tumble-bug and the illustrious patrician my lord granddaddy duke of longlegs lying soundly steeped in sleep, and clasped lovingly in each other's arms. The like whereof hath not been seen in all the ages that tradition compasseth, and doubtless none shall ever in this world find faith to master the belief of it save only we that have beheld the damnable and unholy vision. Thus inscrutable be the ways of God, whose will be done. This day, by order, did the engineer-in-chief, herr spider rigged the necessary tackle for the overturning of the vast reservoir and so its calamitous contents were discharged in a torrent upon the thirsty earth which drank it up and now there is no more danger we reserving but a few drops for experiment and scrutiny and to exhibit to the king and subsequently preserve among the wonders of the museum what this liquid is has been determined it is without question that fierce and most destructive fluid called lightning it was wrested in its container from its storehouse in the clouds by the resistless might of the flying planet and hurled at our feet as she sped by an interesting discovery here results which is that lightning kept to itself is quiescent it is the assaulting contact of the thunderbolt that releases it from captivity ignites its awful fires and so produces an instantaneous combustion and explosion which spread disaster and desolation far and wide in the earth. After another day devoted to rest and recovery, the expedition proceeded upon its way. Some days later it went into camp in a pleasant part of the plain, and the savants sallied forth to see what they might find. Their reward was at hand. Professor Bullfrog discovered a strange tree and called his comrades they inspected it with profound interest it was very tall and straight and wholly devoid of bark limbs or foliage by triangulation lord longlegs determined its altitude Herr spider measured its circumference at the base and computed the circumference at its top by a mathematical demonstration based upon the warrant furnished by the uniform degree of its taper upward it was considered a very extraordinary find and since it was a tree of hitherto unknown species, Professor Woodlouse gave it a name of a learned sound, being none other than that of Professor Bullfrog translated into the ancient Mastodon language, for it had always been the custom with discoverers to perpetuate their names and honor themselves by this sort of connection with their discoveries. Now Professor Fieldmouse, having placed his sensitive ear to the tree, detected a rich, harmonious sound issuing from it, This surprising thing was tested and enjoyed by each scholar in turn, and great was the gladness and astonishment of all. Professor Woodlouse was requested to add to and extend the tree's name so as to make it suggest the musical quality it possessed, which he did, furnishing the addition anthem-singer done into the mastodon tongue. By this time Professor Snail was making some telescopic inspections. He discovered a great number of these trees, extending in a single rank, with wide intervals between, as far as his instrument would carry, both southward and northward. He also presently discovered that all these trees were bound together, near their tops, by fourteen great ropes, one above another, which ropes were continuous from tree to tree as far as his vision could reach. This was surprising chief engineer spider ran aloft and soon reported that these ropes were simply a web hung there by some colossal member of his own species for he could see its prey dangling here and there from the strands in the shape of mighty shreds and rags that had a woven look about their texture and were no doubt the discarded skins of prodigious insects which had been caught and eaten and then he ran along one of the ropes to make a closer inspection but felt a smart sudden burn on the soles of his feet accompanied by a paralyzing shock wherefore he let go and swung himself to the earth by a thread of his own spinning and advised all to hurry at once to camp lest the monster should appear and get as much interested in the savants as they were in him and his works so they departed with speed making notes about the gigantic web as they went and that evening the naturalist of the expedition built a beautiful model of the colossal spider having no need to see it in order to do this because he had picked up a fragment of its vertebrae by the tree and so knew exactly what the creature looked like and what its habits and its preferences were by this simple evidence alone he built it with a tail teeth fourteen legs and a snout and said it ate grass cattle pebbles and dirt with equal enthusiasm. This animal was regarded as a very precious addition to science. It was hoped a dead one might be found to stuff. Professor Woodlouse thought that he and his brother scholars, by lying hid and being quiet, might maybe catch a live one. He was advised to try it, which was all the attention that was paid to his suggestion. The conference ended with the naming the monster after the naturalist, since he, after God, had created it and improved it mayhap muttered the tumble-bug who was intruding again according to his idle custom and his unappeasable curiosity end of part first end of chapter twenty one